afternoon. We're very glad that you're able to join with us this afternoon. We're here for the Free Church in Scotland, continuing. And we're a local congregation. And we're very happy that you're able to join with us on our weekly open air outreach. We try to come out once a week, weather permitting, usually on a Friday. And we're glad to be coming live from the Partick Station in the West End of Glasgow this afternoon. I wonder, do you realise that on this day in 1536, that's nearly 500 years ago, on this day in 1536, that William Tyndale was burnt at the stake. That is, he was burnt alive. Now you might well ask, what kind of person was he that he was burnt alive? What was his crime? Was it murder? Was it high treason? Was it rape? No. Nothing like that. What was his crime? His crime was that he translated the Bible into English. And because of that, he was persecuted by the church of that day and by the state. Because basically they did not want the common people to have the Word of God in their own language. They wanted it to be locked up so that it would be confined to the priesthood and therefore the people would have to go to the priest in order to hear the Word of God and in order to understand it. And of course the understanding was given according to the understanding of the priest. But William Tyndale had the highest care and concern for the ordinary individual person so that he went about at great cost to translate the Bible into English. And his goal and his aim was that everyone, from the meanest plowboy to those in the stately home, would have a copy of the Bible for themselves. And because of this, he was burnt alive at the stake on this day in 1536, nearly 500 years ago. Well, friends, we come out this afternoon and we want to bring you something of God's Word to you. Now, William Tyndale believed that people needed to hear what God has to say. And God has spoken to us in his Bible. The Bible is God's Word. We know there are other so-called holy books, but there is none holy. There is none that has come from God 
except the Holy Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is literally God breathed. God has breathed out the words that we find in the Bible. And what we have in the Bible is God's word and God's message for mankind. And arguably, friends, we would say to you that the message that we seek to bring to you in the Bible is the most important message that you can possibly hear and consider. You will be well aware that today we live in a time and in an age when everyone is pressing for your attention. We have social media and all of these people on social media want your attention. Oh, they want you to read what they have put up on social media. It's the same for the TV, that media. It's the same for the print media, magazines and newspapers. Everyone, friends, is pressing for your attention. Advertisers spend billions on advertising in order that they might promote their products. They want your attention. But we would say to you that the most important thing that you can possibly consider is what we find in God's Word. Now, on an occasion like this, it is impossible for us to fully bring out all that is in God's Word. But it would not be wrong to summarize it. The Bible is a collection of books. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament. There are 27 in the New Testament. And all of them are joined by one common theme. What is that theme? What is it that links all these 66 books that have been written over a period of 1600 years by different authors? It's quite remarkable that there is a common theme that runs through all the books of the Bible. What is it? Well, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ was upon this earth, and when he was disputing and debating with the Jews, he said to them that the scriptures, search the scriptures, for they testify of me. And that's what the scriptures do. They testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament scriptures, they testify to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And the New Testament scriptures talk about his coming and uh, the church after he left, after he ascended back into heaven, waiting for that day when he shall return again. And therefore, if you have a Bible and you fail to notice this, let me tell you clearly and plainly that the Bible is a book that revolves around one person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, what we want to bring to your attention uh, this afternoon is that person. 
And we would go first of all to the Bible, to 1 Timothy. Here the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to young Timothy. And he's a pastor, he's a minister of the gospel, and he has congregations, and he has difficulties. And he wants to remind Timothy about the centrality of the Christian gospel and about what it testifies to. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ came at a predetermined time. He didn't come willy-nilly. He came at an important time as far as God's calendar is concerned. The Bible talks in the fullness of time. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There was no accident. There was no coincidence that Christ came when he did. It was all according to God's perfect, eternal plan. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now we're all here today and we've all come into this world by what we would call ordinary generation. And there's no need for me to elaborate upon that because we know exactly what we're talking about. All of us came into this world by ordinary generation, except Jesus Christ. His conception was miraculous. We might say, and it would not be wrong that every conception in some sense is miraculous. But Jesus Christ's conception was truly miraculous. It was by a special, unique act by God the Holy Spirit, where Christ was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. I cannot explain it to you. I wouldn't dare to explain it to you. But the very fact that the Lord Jesus Christ lived a perfect and a sinless life demonstrated that truly he was conceived by extraordinary generations. And this is important because our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who lived upon this earth. He lived a perfect life. Can you imagine it? Can you think for a moment of one who lived an absolutely perfect life perpetually, never sinning, never having a wrong thought, never saying a wrong word, never having to apologize for his words or for his actions, absolutely living a perfect life, fully obeying the law of God. We cannot imagine anyone like this. We ourselves are far from it because the Bible says to us, as it is to every one of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. And therefore, when the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one, that means that we cannot stand before God. 
We are not righteous in the sight of God. God finds fault with us. Why does he find fault with us? He finds fault with us because we are sinners. Why are we sinners? We are sinners because we have a sinful nature. Where do we get our sinful nature from? We got it from Adam. Where did Adam get it from? He was created good, was he not? The Bible says God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creatures and that would teach us therefore that when Adam and Eve were created they were perfect they were just like their creator they were holy they were pure they were righteous but something happened something changed something momentous happened what happened well Eve initially she was tempted by the evil one she was tempted by Satan she was tempted to disobey God's command they had been given a very clear and a very simple command they had been placed in paradise in a garden where everything was laid on for them and they had nothing to do other than simply look after this garden love the Lord their God and serve him nothing else for them to do everything else was laid on for them and God gave them a clear and simple command you're not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you can eat from all the other trees you can have your fill you can indulge you can have all you want, but there's one tree you're not to eat of. Now, there was nothing special in that tree in of itself. God was simply testing them. Would they listen to him? Would they obey him? Would they show their love to him by obeying him? Or would they listen to the evil one who tempted them? Well, Eve did listen to the evil one. She looked upon the tree, she saw the fruit was good to eat, she took it, she ate it, she gave some to her husband, and he took it also. Now, you might say, well, that's not a big deal, that's not really a problem, is it? Well, yes, it is a problem, because they committed high treason. They sided with God's enemy, and they turned their backs upon the living God, to that God who had been gracious to them. To their great creator who had provided everything for them they turned their backs and they sided with god's arch enemy the evil one satan himself and from that point sin entered into human experience adam and eve therefore became sinners their nature was foul they became dead spiritually what does that mean? Well, it simply means that the love and devotion that they had for their Creator was now gone. It was dead. And instead of enjoying fellowship and communion with their Creator, they hid from Him. And that's why many people today hide from God. Why do they hide from Him? 
they hide from him because they are afraid of him. They know that their relationship is not what it should be. This is sin. And all of us friends have been affected by it. Because we've all come from Adam and Eve. They are our first parents. And they passed on their sinful nature to their children. And so it is, all the way down the line. And that's why Christ had to be conceived by extraordinary generation so that he would not be tainted by original sin. Now, there is good news in the gospel. Why are we here? We have good news to tell you. We tell you first of all, first of all because we want to lay a firm foundation for what we say. We tell you sincerely and honestly that we're all sinners. But here is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has come into this world to save sinners. Because, friends, if we remain as we are by nature, if we continue in sin, if we continue in a rebellion, if we continue to be separated and estranged from God, and if we pass into eternity in that condition, then we will be condemned. And that's why we need to be saved. And we need to be saved now. This, friends, we're happy to tell you, is the day of grace. This is the time of God's favor. God is being favorable towards mankind. How is that, you might say? Well, first of all, it's God who recognized our plight. God recognized that we were lost and perishing. And he was the one who wants to restore this relationship. Our first parents fell, as we said, they sinned and they hid from God. But God spoke to them, where art thou, he says to Adam. Here's the first issue of grace, we might say. Where are you? You're hiding from me, but where are you? because God wants to have a relationship with them. And God is the one who has provided means whereby we can have a relationship with our Creator again. He has sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ. There, friends, when we notice that He sent forth His Son, surely we notice how, if we might say in human terms, how serious God is in the sense that he wants to be reconciled to us. Because he didn't send an angel. He sent his only begotten son. He sent the son of his bosom. He sent the son of God. The son of God came on a, on a mission, on a mercy mission. He came with a full authority and stamp of approval of God. He has come forth from heaven itself down to this earth, humbled himself and condescended, took upon him the form of a servant. He became just like us in order that he would suffer and die. And he did this in order to save in order to save. 
That's what he wants to be known as. The Saviour. Jesus Christ, the Saviour. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do we know anything of this? Or are we still like multitudes of others who when they hear the gospel, when they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, they run away. Or who are like the Jews who rejected him. It's said in the Bible in John chapter 1, talking of Christ, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Terrible. They crucified their own Messiah, the Christ. Well, friends, however terrible that is, and indeed it is terrible, yet we can be guilty of exactly the same thing. Because what was the root sin that they committed? What was it? They rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the one whom God had sent and approved. And we know that he was sent and we know that he was approved. How do we know? Because on the third day, Jesus Christ arose. Yes. He did suffer, he did die, he was taken down from the, from the cross, he was put in a tomb, and there he stayed Friday night and Saturday night, but early on the Lord's day, on the first day of the week, he arose. And surely this would demonstrate to us that his work was found acceptable. For God would not raise the life a liar or an imposter, no, surely when he raised him to life, he vindicated his life. He accepted his work. And therefore, we're able to go out this afternoon, even in Glasgow, even outside Partick Station, and we're able to tell all within earshot that Christ Jesus has come into this world to save sinners. Sinners like you. Oh, minister, but I'm not a sinner. Oh, yes. Oh yes, the Bible says we're all sinners. There are no exceptions, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. We've all like sheep, we've all gone astray. And therefore, because we're all sinners, surely that means we all need a Savior. And who is that Savior? That Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and this is something that the Christian church must continue to say. No matter how much opposition we might get, no matter how much rejection we might get, the Christian church is to be faithful. The Christian church has been given a message to proclaim to the ends of the earth. And what is that message? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, of whom I am the chief. Of whom I am the chief. Do you know anything about the Apostle Paul? Well, you will know 
that he is arguably the most experienced Christian that ever lived. Yet he says of himself, of whom I am, the chief of sinners. Not that he was the chief of sinners, but even as a Christian, he acknowledges that he is the chief of sinners. You know, friends, when we come out here and when we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not preaching ourselves. We're not preaching our denomination or congregation. No, no. We're preaching another. Because we ourselves are up to our necks in sin. There is no question about it. But our sins have been forgiven. And this is a wonderful experience. When your sins are forgiven, when you are reconciled to God, it's only through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we said earlier, friends, this is arguably the most important message that you can encounter. The message that has come from heaven. The message that has come through the authority of God. This message has been committed to the church. And this is a message that we must faithfully proclaim to all and sundry, telling them of their great need to be reconciled to God. In the Old Testament, it say, what does the prophet say concerning the Savior? Look unto me and be ye saved on the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. You know, it's only God that can save. Only God, no one else. No minister of the religion can save you. No prophet can save you. None can save you but God. Why then do we talk about Jesus Christ? Well, we talk about Jesus Christ because he is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And he alone can save. He alone can forgive your sins. Hear this. Only God can forgive your sins. No priest can forgive your sins. Doesn't matter how many times you go to confession. No priest can ever forgive your sins. Who's going to forgive his sins? Only Jesus Christ can forgive sins. You can go to every pope that ever lived, and he will never be able to forgive your sins. Only Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has power to forgive sins. Why? Because he's the one who has suffered and died in the room and in the place of sinners. And that's why the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, read it in your Bibles for yourself. Look unto me and be ye saved. What a wonderful thing it is to be saved, to know, friends, that your sins are forgiven, and to know that when you pass into eternity, you will go to be with Jesus Christ. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. That's a universal call to every person. Doesn't matter our language, doesn't matter where we live, doesn't matter the color of our skin, it doesn't matter whether we be male or female. 
Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Because that's telling us that every one of us needs to be saved. There are no exceptions. The minister needs to be saved. How can the minister be saved? The minister can only be saved by having Christ as Lord and Savior. It's on to say in this text, For I am God, and there is none else. There's something unique about this. Or maybe we should say there are plenty of things that are unique about Jesus. But this is one of them. This is one. There is none else. There is no other Savior. He says himself, he said it to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No one goes to heaven. No one will be found in glory. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how much charity work you do. It doesn't matter how good a life you live. You'll never go to heaven. You'll never see glory. You'll never be in that place that's so wonderful and so beautiful unless you have Christ as Lord and Savior. There is no other way. And that's the way we want to tell you this afternoon about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. It's a pleasure to be out this afternoon to tell you something of the Christian gospel. We're going to take a short break and let someone else speak for a moment. But may God bless his word to you this afternoon. Christ. 
We're told in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Repent and be converted, every one of you, that your sins may be blotted out. That is, the, that is what the scripture tells us, that's what God says. If we repent, if we believe, we will be converted. We will be forgiven. God is ready to receive us, and God is willing to, to accept anyone who comes to him. And that great message is taught in the Bible. And if we put our faith in Christ, if we trust in him as our Savior, we can know that God has loved us from all eternity, that he loves us with a perfect love, and that he will go on loving us forever. So friends, make sure you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you seek the Lord while he is to be and call upon him while he is near. The Bible tells us about Moses, that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to suffer affliction. He chose to suffer with God's people. At that time, God's people were slaves in the land of Egypt. Moses was in the king's palace, Pharaoh's palace. He could have had a life of luxury, but instead, Moses chose to identify with God's people. He knew that it was far better to be identified with God's people and to be blessed forever than to be enjoying the pleasures of sin for a few fleeting years. When our life here is over, we must remember death comes and after death, the judgment. There is a judgment day, there is a heaven and there is a hell. So we are to make sure that we are on the road to heaven and not on that road to hell. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If you seek him, you will find him. If you call upon him, he will answer you. Those that seek me early, they shall find me. And that is a wonderful truth. The God of heaven is there. And he's willing for us to seek him, to find him, and we can enter into a relationship with God. Some people think a Christian is somebody who has certain beliefs and certain practices, that they do good and they go to church. But Christianity essentially is a relationship. It's getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's getting entering into that relationship with Christ where he is ours and we are his and we have fellowship with him and we are walking with him each day we are praying to him each day we are living our lives in his presence and with his blessing and he will be with us all our lives and then he will take us forever <coughs> to be in heaven with himself so friends Seek the Lord, seek to get to know him, and put your trust in him as your Lord and your Savior. Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. He came from heaven, he came and he died on Calvary's cross. And that's an amazing truth, 
that the Son of God should so love men and women that he would come and that he would die on the cross. Christ took our sins upon himself, took our place, gave himself a ransom for many, and through Jesus Christ we have peace with God. Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Too many people are looking to doctors, looking to uh, gurus of various kinds, but there's only one able to help us, really able to help us, and that is the living and true God. The God who created us, the God who looks after this world, and the God before whom we are all one day going to have to stand to render our account. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. It is the atheist and the, who is a fool in the and in in, in, according to the scriptures, the atheist is a fool because he denies God and he denies the, um, the fact that we are his creatures and that we are answerable to him. One day, every one of us will have to give our account to God. But thanks be unto God, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Through Jesus Christ, we have a way to God, we have a truth about the way, and we have the light in order to walk in that way. We're told, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we call upon him, he will answer us, and he will save us. So friends, We'd like to encourage you to get a hold of a Bible and read it. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God, about ourselves, about the way to God and the way that we should live in this world. Read the Bible and it will set before you the way of salvation. It's God's revelation to man. God has spoken. God is not a hidden God. He has spoken. He speaks through creation. He has made the world around us. He's made everything out of nothing by the word of his power. He has placed in each one of us a sense of God, a consciousness of him. We all have a conscience. We know that there's right and wrong. We know that if we do that which is right, it's good. If we do that which is wrong, we're condemned. That conscience comes from God. And it's there to warn us about our need for a Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to us in the scriptures. He is the Word of God. He himself is the great prophet to teach us, the great priest who offered himself for us, and the great king who calls us to submit to him and to have him as our Lord and our Master. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat wine and milk without money and without price. Real pleasure is to be found only in Christ. The pleasures of this last for a little time. You take them and you know yourself all the problems they bring. Drink and drugs causing problems to people's health and their liver and so on, addiction and all the problems connected with these things. 
but the pleasure that we have in God, in Jesus Christ, is a lasting pleasure. Put your faith in Christ, trust in Him, taste and see that God is good, who trust in Him is blessed. It's a wonderful thing to have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to know Him in our hearts and in our lives, giving us peace, giving us joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory is to be found in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, we encourage you to seek the Lord, to put your faith in Him, to follow Him. Come to church. We're not particularly asking you to come to our church. We're not here in order to try and build up the numbers in our church. We would ask you to go to any church where the gospel is preached any Bible-believing church, any evangelical church. If you are free, you can come to our church, which is on Thornwood Terrace, to Thornwood Terrace, just up from the police station and parking, to Thornwood Terrace on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock or a Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Come along and you will be welcome and you'll hear the Bible being explained and you'll be able to sing together, the singing the psalms, the songbook that God has given us, and also uh, praying together. The Lord is able to hear us, and to answer us, to save us, put your faith in Christ and be saved. You never know. Yeah. Thanks, William. Okay. Bye. Right. Thank you. Good afternoon again. We are very glad to be here 
I'm glad you're able to join with us for part of our weekly out, outreach, our open-air outreach. And this week we're coming from Partick Station in the west end of Glasgow. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We are a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road and you will come to the police station. And if you go opposite the police station, you'll go up a hill towards Thornwood Primary School. And when you come to the school, our building is next door at the crossroads. And we meet on the Lord's Day. What day is that, you may well say? Well, it's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And we meet at 11 a.m. And then we meet in the early evening also at 6 p.m. And we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. Now this coming Lord's Day, this Sunday at 11, we're going to have a fellowship lunch afterwards. And we would extend a welcome to you to come along. Please feel free to come along and enjoy some lunch with us afterwards. No obligation. We'll be happy to see you. And also in the Lord's Day service in the morning, we're going to have a part of the service where we ordain a new elder. So please feel free to come along. Maybe you're a wee bit apprehensive. Maybe it's true to say of you that you've never been to a, a Christian place of worship. Or it may be because of COVID or other circumstances that you've got out of the habit of attending a place of worship. And maybe you might be somewhat embarrassed or apprehensive. Please feel free to come and don't feel under any obligation whatsoever. We will be delighted to see you. Maybe also that you're someone who doesn't have a Bible. Well, we will be delighted to give you a Bible. Please make yourself known and we will endeavor to provide a Bible for you. And that just reminds me again of what I said earlier when I began to speak. On this day in 1536, yes, 1536, nearly 500 years ago, there was a man who was burnt at the stake. What does that mean? Well, it simply means he was tied to a stake and he was set on fire. Now you might say, well, surely he must have been a great criminal for this to happen. What was his crime? Well, his crime was that he wanted or he enabled or he did translate the Bible into English so that everyday ordinary individuals who could read would be able to read the Bible. Now, does that not make us feel somewhat ashamed of ourselves? Here we are, 500 years after that, 
and we are surrounded by Bibles. We are surrounded by them. We have them in print form. We can look at them on a screen. We can have them on our phones, on our pad. We have multiple copies of the Bible. Yet, how often do we read it? Probably not at all. And we are therefore rejecting God's complete and final revelation to mankind. Because the Bible is God's book. And in the Bible, God speaks to us about a person. And who is that person, you may well say. Well, that person is his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, to sum it up, simply tells us what God has done to prepare the way for the coming of the Savior. And the New Testament, what does it do? It tells us about the coming of the Savior, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, about his ascension back into heaven. And it also reminds us about how the early church went about and preached the gospel and of that time when Jesus Christ shall return again. Yes, we need to be made aware that the day will come when Christ shall return. This world as we know it will not continue forever. Only God is eternal. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is not eternal. God alone is eternal. And one day this world, as we know it, shall have an end. When will that come about? That will come about when Jesus Christ returns. Behold, every eye shall see him. He shall come with clouds, and every eye shall see him. That's what we're told in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Read it for yourselves in your own Bibles. There, God has revealed to us what is yet to come. And this world as we know it shall be destroyed. Not completely and utterly. We don't believe that. But it shall be refurbished. It shall be rejuvenated. It shall be destroyed in the sense that it will suffer a great fire. Well, how long is it going to be? The ancient world was destroyed by a flood. We call it Noah's flood because only Noah and his family escaped. The rest of the world, the whole population of the world was destroyed. And that flood, when it came, changed the environment change what we call the topography, change the surface of this world and we have it as it is now as a result of the flood. But the day will come, friends, when this world shall be destroyed by fire, a tremendous fire. Now I hear you laughing, this will never happen. Yes, it will happen. How will it happen? I don't know how it will happen, but it will happen. You know, when Noah was telling the people of his day that God was going to send rain and that he was going to cause a flood, they laughed at him. 
they laughed at him. Why? Because they had never seen rain. And here was Noah telling them for around 120 years while he was building the ark that there's going to come a flood and God is going to destroy this earth. And they laughed at him. Well, friends, God is not going to destroy this world by a flood again. Instead, he's going to destroy it by fire. And I hear you laughing, how, how can this possibly be? Well, in the very bowels of the earth itself, there is fire. You can think of the sun that's above us. How much energy, how much fire, how much power is in the sun. Don't think that God will not destroy this world by fire. He has said it in his word. You can read it in 2 Peter chapter 3. We don't need to worry about climate change or global warming as some call it. Because we know the day will come when God alone shall destroy this earth. And he shall bring out about, about a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now the point for us this afternoon is, as we consider the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, will we be in that new heaven and that new earth? Do we have an interest in Jesus Christ? That's what's important for us. We are not, so be, we are not to be so concerned about seeking to save the planet we are to be concerned about making sure that our souls shall be saved. And that's why Jesus said on one occasion, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Sir, madam, you have something that is priceless. Oh, Minister, that's nonsense. I can hardly make ends meet. I haven't got a penny to my name. That may well be true, but you have a soul. And you have a soul that will live forever and ever and ever. That is priceless. Because everything in this world that we can see, everything that we can taste, everything that we can handle, everything that we can look upon, it's all temporary. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But your soul, which you cannot see, it will live forever and ever and ever. And therefore it is priceless. And friends, I must tell you that you can lose your soul. You can lose your soul. That's what Jesus is telling us in this verse here. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? How many people are chasing after the transitory and changeable things of this world? How many people are living for this world and for what this world can give them? They're looking to find satisfaction and pleasure and fulfillment in the things of the world. And they don't realize that these things can never satisfy us. 
They can never satisfy our souls. They can never satisfy our deepest longings. And ask yourself this question. Supposing it was possible for you to get everything this world can give to you. It's not possible, but let's just imagine it. Let's just imagine you had all the gold, all the money, all the power, all the influence, all the fame, all the, the beauty that this world can give. What would it profit you if you had all this and lose your soul? How many people think that by playing the, the national lottery and by winning maybe millions that somehow as a result of this then their lives will be transformed and they would all be happy again? How many people testify that when they get the lottery win, the big lottery win, how miserable they, they become, how their lives change, and how money cannot bring happiness. Well, that's the same with everything, everything this world can give us. It will never satisfy our souls. It will never bring us lasting pleasure. Because ultimately, come what may, one day we'll go the way of all the earth and we'll leave all, all that we have, we'll leave it all behind. We cannot take it with us. When we go into eternity, all your gold will do you no good. It's not current currency in heaven, in eternity. Everything that we have in this world, we will leave it behind. And Jesus then warns us and instructs us and encourages us to consider this. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Now, now, let's be clear. You cannot save your soul. You can lose your soul, but you cannot save your soul. Only Jesus Christ can save your soul. That is one of the reasons why he is so unique and so precious. He alone can save your soul. That's why we come out this afternoon and that's why we ask and urge that you put your faith and your hope and your trust upon Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. That's why we bring them to your attention. And indeed, if he's the only one that can save, then you must hear about him. That's another reason why we come out. The Bible tells us that we are to call upon his name. And when we say his name, not just simply his name, but all that he stands for. If you were going to employ a joiner or a bricklayer, you would ask people about this joiner or about this bricklayer. And you will say, what kind of reputation has he got? Has he got a good name? Is he someone I can trust? And if he is someone that you could trust, then you might use him for your work. Well, that's what it means when it talks about the name of the Lord Jesus. What kind of reputation has he got? 
Is he able to perform? Is he able to save? Is he worthy of my trust and admiration? And the answer is, of course, he is. He is. The Bible tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, when we talk about the Lord Jesus, and when we commend this person to you, we are commending someone who's alive. He's alive forevermore, and he's in heaven today. I don't know what religion you follow, but all other religious leaders and teachers, they're either dead and smoldering in their graves, or they soon will be. And in this respect, Jesus is completely unique. He came to this world, he suffered, and he died. He was put into a tomb, and there he was for a period of time until he arose. He arose out of the grave. And he is alive, and can never die. Death no longer has any grip, any hold upon Jesus Christ. The day will come, friends, when you and I will go the way of all the earth. We will return to the dust. Unless the Lord Jesus shall return before that day. But the time will come when we will go the way of all the earth. Not so, Jesus. Therefore, he is worthy of your trust. And that's why we come out, that we might even for a few moments draw your attention to this glorious person. But we not only want to tell you about the person, we want to tell you why you should trust this person. You should trust this person because you cannot save yourself and you need to be saved why do i need to be saved minister i don't understand this why is it i need to be saved you need to be saved because in the sight of god you are a sinner no no we are all sinners we're all sinners Bible tells us clearly, madam, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we rejoice that God has done something about our sin. You know, other religions don't deal with this. They don't deal with the reality of sin. But the Bible does, because it's God's religion. And God recognizes the real problem and plight with us. And he has done something about sin. What has he done? Well, he has sent forth his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but 
that the world might be saved through him. Now, how did Jesus deal with our sin? Well, he lived a life, a perfect life in this world. He was with us for about 33 years. And during that time, he lived a perfect life. And therefore, he was qualified to offer up a perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice made atonement for our sin. God was punishing Christ in our room and in our place. You see, God cannot overlook sin. It is offensive to him and he must deal with it. And he chose to deal with mankind's sin by punishing Jesus in the place of sinners. Therefore, Jesus was our substitute. If I went into Morrison's there and I gathered my groceries together and I came to the counter and it told me, the teller told me, you've got to pay over a hundred pounds for this shopping. I haven't got the money, I said. But someone else came along and paid the money. I would then be able to go out of that shop without owing anything. Someone else has paid for it on my behalf. That's what happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. We deserve to die. And not just physical death, and not just spiritual death, but eternal death. That's what we deserve because of our sins. But Jesus Christ stood in our room and in our place and he took upon himself the punishment that was due mankind. And because he lived a perfect life, he was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. And because he's divine, because he is God in the flesh, he was the, his sacrifice therefore has infinite value. Infinite value. And therefore he's able to save a multitude of people. Indeed, all who will come to him shall be saved. And here is a wonderful encouragement and a gospel invitation to every single one of us here this afternoon. All who can hear the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel tells us, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I put it to you here this afternoon that there are people who do not have rest. They're not peaceful. There is a problem in their life. And maybe they cannot really articulate that problem. They don't know what it is. But I will tell you what it is. The problem is your sin. It's your personal sin. It's a barrier between yourself and God. And because of this sin, what is it? You know that you're not right with God. That's why you have a troubled conscience. That's why on occasions you are troubled. You have, as Bunyan would say in Pilgrim's Progress, you have a burden on your back. There's something that's taking you down. There's a burden that you cannot get rid of. 
And what is it? It's as the guilt of your sin. Because you know you're not right with God. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ says in his word to you this afternoon, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what he's saying there in essence is, come, cast your burden upon the Lord. What is my burden? My burden is my sin. Cast it then upon the Lord and take up his burden. What's the burden he gives to us? He gives us another burden. It's an easy burden. It's to walk after the Lord Jesus. It's to walk in his footsteps. That's what it is. On another occasion, we hear another gospel invitation. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. Now the prophet is not speaking about himself. When he says, come and look unto me, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Savior. Look unto me and be ye saved, for I am God. He's telling us to look to God. And who is God? But Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. That, friends, is a wonderful sincere, full gospel invitation given to every man, woman, and child in this world that they might look unto Jesus Christ because we need to be saved. We're very happy to be here. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break. But we do trust and pray that the Lord will be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon. Uh, no, uh, I noticed that, aye. What, what did you say to you? No, no. I'm just, thinking, I'm just thinking technically, if I drive out and all the things, I'll drive back in. Aye, uh, you'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be all right. That'll be all right, yeah, won't right. I? That'll be all right. Ah, sure, no problem at all. Sure, no problem. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Okay, no problem. Oh, well, we'll do another ten minutes and that'll do me, Alan, I think. Ten minutes. Oh, here's Jamie. She, she's just off. She's going to take, the, ca take the car out and come back in. Oh, okay. Good, so good, it's good. Just, just gone. She's just going to go. That's where she's going. Oh, I need to give her three. Okay, okay. Right, we'll get going.
We'll give you a warm welcome again to our weekly open air witness. This, this week we're coming from Partick Station in the West End of Glasgow. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We are a Scottish registered charity and part of our remit is to go out and to preach the everlasting gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be aware that in the world today and indeed in our own society, we are surrounded by a multitude of religions and they're all seeking to promote their tenets and their teachings but we would say sincerely and respectfully that there is only one true religion for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave his life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There's only one way to get right with God. There's only one God and he has provided that way in his Son. Salvation is found in none other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is what the early apostles said when they were being persecuted for preaching the gospel. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself did say to his own disciples not long before he was crucified, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Why do we say all these things? Well, we say these things because others will try to tell us there is another way. <coughs> They'll try to tell us there's another way to be right with God. Solomon in the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 16 and verse 25 there is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death a very important verse and it speaks about what we have been speaking about talking about many religions there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And many people believe that the religion they're following is right, and it seems right to them. And they are convinced that their religion is true. And they are convinced that at the end they will be saved if they follow their religion. But what does the Bible say? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
And we have to say sincerely to warn you today that if you're not following Jesus Christ, then you are following another religion. Or you might say, well, I'm not following any religion. Well, that is not strictly true. Because the Bible tells us we're either following Jesus or we're following something else. We cannot be neutral about this matter. And as we've been out here this afternoon, and as we've tried to speak a word in season, and as we've tried to hand out gospel tracts to the various people that have passed our paths, there is something that's very common happening among us. What do we find? We find rejection on a large scale. People will not accept what we say, and they will not accept a gospel tract, for instance. Their minds are completely shut. They're not open to discussion. Because there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We have to realize, friends, that what we're seeking to draw to your attention this afternoon is not our opinion. You really don't want to hear my opinion. I am simply seeking to draw to your attention what God has said in His Word. And when you reject the Word of God, you reject God Himself. When you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you reject God Himself. Some religions will acknowledge Jesus Christ. They will call Him, for instance, a great prophet. But they will never call Him God in the flesh. They will never truly recognize Him for who He truly is. Well, the Bible says if we don't recognize Christ, then we don't recognize God or either. And if we don't honor Christ, we don't honor God either. And therefore, to truly honor God, we must give Christ his rightful place as the eternally begotten Son of God, who became the Son of Man in order to seek and to save that which was lost. There is today great ignorance regarding who God is. What kind of God is He? What is God? Our shorter catechism tells us or asks us. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the great God of the Bible. That's the God who made us and formed us. That's the God with whom we are ultimately accountable unto. And we want to tell you this afternoon that this God is merciful. This God is gracious. 
There's a verse here I want to quote from the Old Testament, from Micah, one of the minor prophets, Micah chapter 7 at verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. Who is like this God? He pardons iniquity. Well, he can only pardon iniquity when we come to him in and through the way that he has provided. And that's through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's through him. Because Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin. God has not gone soft on sin. He must punish it. It's against his nature. What is sin, you might say? Sin is any want of or transgression of the law of God. We know what sin is when we consider and when we study God's law. God has given us this law. He's given it in the Bible, but he's also given it to us by nature. We have it inscribed upon our hearts, but because of sin, that inscription is somewhat defaced, and it's not as clear as it should be. And that's why he has given it to us in codified form in the Bible. And we have it in the Ten Commandments. And the more that we study this commandments, the more that we see their breadth and their depth and their application, how that they are not just concerned with our outward physical actions, but that they are concerned about the words that we speak and the very thoughts that we think. You see, the Bible demands that we have purity in the inward parts. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not pure within. Our thoughts are shameful on many occasions. We would not like people to know what we're thinking. Is that not the case? We can be very ashamed of our thoughts. Well, God knows our thoughts, and his commandments apply to our thoughts. They apply in this sense. I'm speaking here as a man. But if a man is to look upon a woman and he lusts over her in his own heart, then that is to commit adultery. And it's the same for a woman. If a woman looks upon a man and lusts upon that man in her heart, then she has committed adultery. The physical act has not been committed, but nevertheless, as far as God's law is concerned, to have sinful thoughts is to break the law of God. Therefore, we see that his law is spiritual. And the more that we consider his law, as we see its application, the more that we recognize that we are sinners. But, as I said, this verse tells us 
who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity. God is willing to pardon. How can he pardon? He can only pardon when we come to him through the way that he himself has provided his son, Jesus Christ the Lord. And he retains not his anger forever. You know, there are many people think that God is continually angry. That's all God does is to be angry. No. Once we are forgiven, once we come to him in Christ, he does not retain his anger because it goes on to tell us he delights in mercy. He's a God that seeks to be merciful and he has provided a way whereby he can be merciful in and through his Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Well, friends, we are very glad to be here. We're going to draw our time to a close, but we're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we extend a warm welcome to you to come along to any of our public services. We meet on the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. We meet at 11 a.m. and again in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we extend a warm welcome to you. And we do ask that the Lord might follow with his blessing the preaching of his word to us this afternoon. And we hope to return in due course, God willing. Oh.